It is that time of year again here at the Leukemia Foundation to talk about the world's greatest shave. The world's greatest shave is one of the country's longest running and most iconic fundraising campaigns, bringing Australians together to champion a good cause for over 25 years. Every year, each March, a community of trailblazers step up to shave, cut or colour their hair, all in the name of funding game-changing blood cancer support and research. Every dollar you will raise will help keep families together when they need it the most. We'll provide practical and emotional support services to patients and their families. We'll help fund cutting-edge research and campaign for change for those affected. We'll help families meet basic costs like putting food on the table, getting to hospital or paying bills. You will join a community of trailblazers determined to shape a brighter future for blood cancer patients and their families. A community that champions change, that doesn't take no for an answer. So why don't you sign up to the Leukemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave and shave, cut or colour your hair in support of Australians facing blood cancer. Every dollar you will raise will help provide support services to patients and families and keep them together. You get to a point in life where you think you're in control of everything and uh, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it gets taken out from underneath you. I guess I kind of felt ripped off. It's just living in the moment and just being adaptable to situations. Give people voices to talk about, Do you know what, that phase is often the hardest and be prepared for it because it's not what you think it will be. Talking Blood Cancer, a podcast for those facing blood cancer by the Leukaemia Foundation. Find the best way forward using their own purpose that they have in their life and using their passions. I've lost fear and doubt. Like I no longer doubt myself in situations and nothing scares me. That gives you another goal to work towards and, and a reason to live. I'm Kate Arkadip and I am the host of Talking Blood Cancer. This podcast shares the stories of the people we have connected with who have faced a blood cancer so that you, our listeners, can gain insight, find purpose and take inspiration. Before we get into today's episode, the Leukaemia Foundation acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we share these stories. We recognise their continuing connection to land, sea and community as the first storytellers of this country. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. This story may contain content that some listeners may find difficult and challenging. We encourage anyone listening to take care of their own mental health and well-being. The purpose of this podcast is to share real-life stories of people living with a blood cancer, and any discussion of medical treatments is not an endorsement. We encourage you to seek advice from your treatment team if you have any questions regarding your diagnosis, side effects, or treatment. If you would like to talk to someone, or even if you would like more information on our services or today's episode, please feel free to contact one 800 620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. 
So, let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, I interview Michael, who is from Sydney. In 2019, Michael at the time was 33 years old. One morning while driving to work, he received a phone call that stopped his fast-paced life in its tracks. It was that day that Michael was given the diagnosis of CML. Throughout the interview, Michael so openly talks to me about the bouts of depression he came up against and he tells me how he was able to overcome these hard times. This is an episode and a conversation as Michael describes it to me as his journey through a no man's land. Hi there everyone, welcome to Talking Blood Cancer. My name is Kate and today we have Michael with us. So welcome Michael. Hi Kate, nice to be with you. Thank you for joining us. As we always do, every episode we start off by asking um, the person we are interviewing, um, what is their name, where they're living in Australia, who is in their family and when and what they were diagnosed with. Okay, uh, Michael Bowen mm-hmm. is my name. I am living in Manly, Sydney, or close thereabouts. Uh, I am married to Jordana. Uh, my wife and I have two girls named Farah and Emerson. That's my immediate family. And I was diagnosed in February 2019 uh, with chronic myeloid leukemia. Wow. And what was like what was happening in life before before you were diagnosed in the lead up to it? What was going on for you? Uh, pretty normal uh, life to be honest, uh, going through this the normal stages of getting married and um, buying a house or trying to buy a house. And I don't know if anyone else lives in Sydney, but it's a sport down here. It's yeah. pretty hard to find somewhere. Um, and then wanted to start family. You? Sorry, how old were you? Uh, I was 32. Uh, okay. My birthday's in September. So, yeah, 32 and a bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, standard sort of life, good job, um, relatively healthy, um, good friends, good family, environment. Um, really looking forward to the future and the potential of um, of what my life could bring. And uh, yeah, we um, the the leading into it, we I think Farah was at the time I got diagnosed. Farah was eleven months old. Okay. And uh, that's your first, isn't it? My first. Yeah, she's now um, she's now four and a bit. Um, Terrible, terrible threes are rolled into <laughs> frustrating the three Yes. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, for me, we when I got married in 2016, um, my wife and I, we wanted to start a family, but um, it came pretty quickly. Uh, so we didn't have uh, private health insurance to cover pregnancy. Yeah. So when we when we found out, we were thinking, oh, all right, well, what are we um, what are we going to do with private health? Um, we got a, got ourselves sorted and and um and had a and had Farah, but uh, there's like a twelve month waiting period between certain things you can get, you know, chiropractic or um, optical and and all that, dental and stuff. So um, for me, I was feeling healthy, uh, didn't have too many issues, but my eyesight was starting to play up on me. I had these sort of black, black um, dots that would, what would shoot across my eye and, um, or I'd wake up in the mornings and sort of wouldn't be able to see properly, but you know, after you have a shower and have a coffee, everything sort of comes good. So you didn't really think too much of it. 
so for me, um, there was no real major issues going on, but um, I do like a, a bit of a, a bit of a bargain. So I was waiting to go to the teacher self optometrist to uh, get a free pair of um, reading glasses. Yeah. So that's so that's what was the real driver for going to get my eyes checked, not because I mm-hmm. thought I had anything else going on. So um, being the new health in um, health cover. They wanted to do a base case of my eyes. Uh, okay. So they did all that and did all the standard checks and the optometrist came back after sort of five minutes and um, longer than normal and said that, uh, she said, oh, do you, do you smoke? I said, no. She says, do you drink? I said, only on weekends. Um, do you lift heavy weights? I said, uh, not as much as I used to or would like to. Um, being a new, new dad, you sort of don't get the chance to do all those things you yeah. used to do and she said, oh, okay. Um, she said, she said, we've just got a bit of an issue with your eyes. Um, there seem to be a lot of um, blood clots and, and burst, burst blood know, arteries or, or sort of veins or whatever it is, but yeah, vessels behind your eyes. Um, and uh, she printed out a picture of my eye and, and, and showed that essentially it's all bloodshot. So I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, and I said, all right, so what does this mean? She goes, oh, look, you know, go see a specialist, have a look into it. But at the meantime, go, um, go to your GP and, and, uh, do a blood test. And me being me, I, I didn't even have a GP. I, you know, you sort of go to a clinic and if you've got a cold or you need to get a sick note, yeah. you just go and see whoever's on, on, whoever's on the desk. You, I didn't really have anyone. So, uh, I was like, okay, cool. Didn't think too much of it. Uh, a couple of days went past and, um, Jordana had to go to, to the doctors for something and, I was like, oh, that reminds me. I've got to go too. Can I join you and tag on to your, your um your appointment? Your appointment. And she goes, why? And then anyway, I showed her this picture of my eyes. And uh, she goes, you're an idiot. What are you doing? She went, when you got told. I said, oh, I didn't think so much of it, darling. It's, it's nothing. So don't worry about yeah. it. So anyway, um, we went the next day. That was on a, that was on a Wednesday. Um, and then uh, Thursday morning, so, oh, sorry, Wednesday I went to see the GP, um, she did her bit, and then I showed the, the, the GP my um, eyes and the results, and he shot up out of his chair really quick. He goes, all right, come with me now, we'll go down the hall and get a blood test. Mm. Still nothing triggered. I was like, all right, this guy's pretty diligent. I like this bloke. Maybe you should yes, keep him back I come back to this guy. Um, anyway, did the blood test that that afternoon, he sent him off the results. And then the next morning, I'm about to go to work. Uh, and uh, I got a call about quarter to nine. And he said, uh, Michael, I need you to go to um, North Shore or the local, local, the closest local hospital. And I said, okay, why? He said, oh, your blood results are back. And I'm a bit concerned about um, some of uh, the results. I said, and I'm not in health. I mean, I mean, financial wealth wealth management so for me I, I didn't really trigger doing anything and he said oh no you got to go um you got to go to hospital now i said oh can i go this afternoon i've got a pretty busy day yes no now and i was like oh, okay all right i said so what am i what am i turning up for i said i just don't want to turn up to emergency and you know just say that i've been told to come here and my name's wait around. yeah yeah i didn't want to wait around you know and uh he said your white blood cell count is um quite elevated and i said okay well what's it normally and he said oh Parts per million should be between six and eleven. White blood cell count for a normal person. Mm-hmm. I said, "Okay, what am I?" He goes, "One hundred and forty or something." Wow. And I, okay, 
Um, and did you have any idea what that meant? Like you were asking that question, but did you actually understand what any of that meant? Look, we're all friends here, so I can admit that if someone asked me how to spell leukemia <laughs> that yeah. morning, I would have struggled. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, so that was, was where your base knowledge was at. So I had no idea. Like, I had nothing ever like mm. wrong with me. Playing sports through, through school, uh, yeah, nothing ever was a problem. Didn't have a history and family history of anything. Yeah. To do with this, so I uh, I said, okay, all right, um, one forty. That's pretty high. Um, me being competitive, I said, is that the highest you've ever heard, ever seen? <laughs> and if I'm going to do this well, yeah, I was like, how? Where am I? I'm on the podium for this stuff or what? And um, he goes, no, no, Michael, seriously, you need to go. I said, well, what's the what could happen? He goes, well, you could have a stroke, you know, a major organ failure, or it could be something else um, related to that. And I said, like what? And he goes, oh, look, I, I don't know, but. I'm just more worried about the possible stroke yeah. at the moment. I said, and "Oh shit!" He, said, hadn't okay. said the, he hadn't said the word leukemia or blood cancer or anything. Didn't, like, no. no leukemia, no cancer, no nothing. Yeah. Um, so my wife had the car that day, so I ordered an Uber um, to go to hospital. So still, I had, I'm not even I'm relaxed, you know. I yeah. got out of my got out of my suit, and knew I'd be up there for a few hours, and probably wasn't going to work that day. So. Got changed, ordered an Uber. In the Uber, I called um, my wife. She works in um, she works in medical devices, so she's in health and she understands this sort of stuff. And I said, "Oh, <clears throat> darling, my um, my bloods have come in and it's a bit high." And I told her, and she goes, "Okay, all right, I'm leaving work now. I'm going to see you at um, uh, Northern Beaches Hospital." So got in there, rocked up to emergency, um, and this is where it started to get a bit like, "Okay, this is." This is not good. Um, rocked up to emergency and went straight to the front of the line and they opened up the doors for me, walked me straight in. No waiting, no sitting down, no nothing. They knew my name, they knew everything. And that I was like hospital. I was like, you don't want you don't want the red carpet service at um at emergency at a hospital. So I started to think, oh shit, this is no good. Yeah. So they put me in a, um one of the beds and um pulled the curtain. Um, my wife turned up. She was, in hindsight, pale as a ghost. Um, so she knew something bad was happening, and, and I still was like, okay. So I had a few meetings, I had to cancel, talk to my colleagues, cancel a few meetings, you know, give them a bit of background in the work mode. Um, still was wasn't still too. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just defence mechanism. You sort of don't want to go and run off. Warring has a um, a low probability of success. Mm-hmm. So I try not to worry too much um, about these certain things, but I think that morning warranted some level of worrying. But anyway, um, so I took some more bloods uh, and within half an hour, I come back in, uh, open up the curtain and said, uh, Mr. Bowen, we need to talk to you. And I said, okay, yeah. So we both sat there and they said, uh, the nurse said, we think you have leukemia. Wow. And I was like, really? It's It was February, so... Healthy, you know, summer, mm. tan, you get tan, you're, you're in board shorts, you're feeling strong, healthy, no real issues, and someone just hits you with that news. So you're like, oh, okay, what does that mean? And they said, oh, look, we don't really know what type, how aggressive, um, what stage you're at. Uh, you're going to have to go to um, rural North Shore who have some more specialists and, 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 and the like, and um, we want you to go now. And uh, I was like, oh. yeah, you look at you, you look at my wife Jordana and you just, yeah, burst out crying and 
in shock and you know it's just uh, it's not the nice feeling you wouldn't yeah it's, it's the moment in your life that stopped you, that you just oh, never envisioned yeah it's it's one of those things that you, it's a marker i guess in your yeah. in your in your life and that's a, that's a that's a big line in the sand and pre uh pre-leukemia and post-leukemia that's um that's the moment i'll never forget it i'll never forget the noise of the um curtain being pulled back and um, the pause of the lady, I'll never forget her face, you know, it's just very seared in, in your memory. And then you start thinking instantly sort of, um, Farrah, my oldest, she, she, she was 11 months at the time. Um, the potential for your life, if you feel shocked, obviously my wife and I don't be married a couple of years. So what's our life going to look like? And then the, the guilt that starts to come with that as well. Um, all these other emotions start coming through your mind and you, you sort of get through that initial shock and then you've got to go across town. So it's probably about a 40 minute ride or so. Um, we're going to get an ambulance, but they're going to be another hour or so. So that's it looks best to, you haven't got a broken arm or anything. So it's probably best just to drive yourself. And, um, so yeah, that, that, that drive across town was, um, sort of felt like you're just floating. Yeah. It would have there. been so surreal. Yeah, um, you sort of sometimes watch movies and you hear these stories and things like that. But when it's happened to you at the time, you're sort of out. Of, it's an out of body experience, and you sort of can see yourself thinking. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So that was uh, that was the drive, and then we got there, and uh, and I've listened to a what couple of other podcasts. What do you talk about? Like in that drive, as you said, you had forty minutes in Sydney traffic. Potentially could have been longer. Like, how? <clears throat> I mean, do you sit there in silence? Do you just? As you said, you're in shock. Like, yeah, I think um, my, my wife and I are pretty practical sort of people. Um, we're both the eldest, so we've been growing up that you got to have responsibilities and you got to <laughs> um, you got to you got to stand up when you can when you when you need to. And uh, there's a couple. I can't remember specifics to the conversation, but you know, it's just what do we do next and some practical things, but. You can't not not having any experience with this and not knowing. It questions us: How did it happen? Why did it happen? Why now? Could I have prevented it? Um, but you didn't have any of these questions because you literally were going to see the specialist. So there's a lot of a lot more, um, and you didn't even know what type it was. I, I, I refused to um, Google. I refused to Google. I refused to look into things and run down rabbit holes. Um, yeah. I just knew that it wasn't going to be helpful. Um, so yeah, so we got to um, North Shore and we uh, oncology and um, uh, and went up there and level four it is and you walk in and it's a sterile grey environment. Um, there's no there's no kids there because when you think of leukemia, you might think of kids, children having it primarily. But yeah, there's no kids there. But you see, there's a lot of sickness and um, and people right at the end of their tenure and. There's not much, not much yes, yeah, no laughter, there's no um there's no happiness, it's just grey and sterile and, and quiet. Um it's a place you, if you've never been in it, you could you you couldn't even imagine it, could you? Because yeah, you might yeah. the emotion in those in those rooms as well. Yeah, exactly. Um and as I said, it was the end of February, so uh, you know, of looking healthy, feeling healthy, fit, um in board shorts and a shirt, t shirt. Got a tan, like it's just totally Not where you think different environment. I was like, oh, that's like, what the hell am I doing here? How did I end up here? 
Um, so you take your uh, you take your bed, you take your room. Uh, they come in, do some more tests, and some of the junior doctors come in. And next thing you know, a couple of hours later, Chris Arthur, um, one of the leading doctors for leukemia in um, in Sydney, he he rolls in and introduces himself, and uh, he says, "All right, Michael, we um we think you've got chronic myeloid leukemia." Mm-hmm. I see the case. What does that mean? He goes on about sort of chronic and acute and different stages, and he says, uh, "But you think we think it's the best topic leukemia you can get?" <laughs> and I looked at him and said, "Fuck off!" Yeah, <laughs> really. I, I was like, "I was like, don't I don't uh, I don't want any cancer, mate. Yeah, Not the best type, the worst type, none of this stuff. So, um, how do I get rid of it, or what, what's happened?" So. He said, look, we don't really know. We have to do a um, bone marrow, um, is it biopsy? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, they don't tickle. Uh, tell no, you they, much. they do not. Um, do, do they give you any funny gas? Do they give you anything to? No, uh, they, they gave me a general, but uh, to be honest, I was screaming like a 16-year-old at a Justin Bieber concert. Um, I wasn't. Yep. Uh, I wasn't. <laughs> you weren't I wasn't. Uh, oh, no. Um, I nearly broke my wife's hand, I think, when it happened. But um. So you sit there and, and then you're like, all right, so cool. I've got, I've been told what it is. I've got a label that I can yeah. now look into and they give you all these pamphlets and they give you all this information and talk about sort of treatment options. And and he is right um, in, in reflection, sort of chronic myeloid leukemia and the, the, the drugs that I take um, to Cigna, nolotinib, it's got a couple of different names, but yeah. I'm, on, uh, I'm on 600 milligrams of that a day, two tablets in the morning and two at night. Um, that's all I really need to do. I didn't have to go through too much more than the, than the biopsy. And um, yeah, so pretty lucky. But when he's, when he's telling you that the hardest thing is then you've got to call your, your mum and dad and brothers and sisters, and then you've got to run through all your mates and, and, and tell work. them and, and work. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. So just the overwhelming sense of the potential for, our life and and not possibly seeing my oldest grow up yeah it's 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 very daunting and a very heavy um situation to be in i think as you said like even though they go oh it's the good one or or whatnot no no cancer is good right no that it doesn't um they all have their their pros and their cons and it's Mm. you don't get out of it scot-free and your life at that moment is changed forever as you said it's a very thick line drawn in the sand is that unfortunately can't quite be what it was before a diagnosis yeah and even with chronic myeloid leukemia what i have there's various different responses and different people have um different reactions some are really lethargic and some of the drugs don't work the first second the third generation drugs don't work i'm on the i think i'm on the third generation so um physically i don't know about six months afterwards a lot of um my body hair started to drop off um much to my wife's pleasure um she didn't mind a bit of that um but eyebrows started to thin out but the hair on my head most people are listening won't see this but i've got a pretty thick set of hair so that that fortunately said so yeah so there's different changes that that happen and and they have different effects on you physically but also 
um, mentally. emotionally, mentally, and then how do you see yourself in the mirror and how you think other people see you and your level of confidence and then all these other things, anxiety yeah. and everything else that comes up. There's so many things that you just under the, the the physical side of things, under the surface, that's where 80% of the, the battle is. Because that's what I was going to ask. Right? You know, we talk about um, a lot and there's a lot of conversation and that can be point towards a, a woman when they are diagnosed, they lose their hair. You sometimes they will have long hair and their appearance mm. has changed and things like that. How did, how did that affect you and your confidence and the way you presented to society? Mm. Well, first, first of all, I, um, I, I had two voices in my head. One was just hide away in the corner. Don't share too much. Don't say too much. Um, don't, don't be, don't be vulnerable or don't come across as, as sort of anything less than who you were. Um, my internal thoughts were, what is this? It's in my bone marrow. It's in my genetic makeup. Like, mm-hmm. is this, where else is this going to go? And what else can it do to me? And what can the drugs do to me? And so for me, I think it, I was diagnosed in uh, 20, I think it was the 20th, 21st of Feb. <clears throat> and I was in quite, quite shock. But my little brother, he was doing some stuff for the world's greatest shave or he, or he donated to one of his friends doing it. And I'd heard of the world's greatest shave, but I never really participated in it and, or donated to it. I donated different things through time, but not that one. And for me, I was like, sweet, I'm going to do this. I'm going to shave my head, um, raise some money. And in retrospect, I think it was a defense mechanism because I could isolate myself. I could, I could raise money for others who yes. have leukemia mm-hmm. um, or, or affected by it. Um, and and sort of separate myself and put myself at arm's length so I could then deal with it and let it come back into me when I wanted it to because mm-hmm. I had no no control over being uh, uh, Wednesday I was healthy Thursday I wasn't yes come pretty fast yes so for me I started to put a lot of time and effort into that um and one Does of the that give you something practical to do as well yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly so. Something to you know have structure towards, something to chip away at. You know, you got a number. You want to raise two and a half thousand, and then you raise, or you hit that target, and you increase it. So, for me, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I think with that, there's two. But there's a selfish part, which is try and push this thing away and and deflect and and try and raise awareness and money for others. Um, But also, equally, being so close to a specialist. Um, you learn that a lot of families don't have that 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 uh, short distance, and and you see that there were some people in the in the hospital that had family that in I don't know Mudgee or Orange or yeah, and you read others up in sort of Central Queensland or um, Western Victoria, for example, that that have to travel sort of six hours or, or more yeah. um, to be at hospital, and their families can't be there. I was just thinking to myself like if if Jordana and my little one weren't so close like she wouldn't be able to be there that day she'd have to dial in and be facetime for example and so for me i realized that i was told that um if you raise a certain amount of money i think it's 500 dollars a week you could provide um uh, uh accommodation for for a family of, of four or three um to be close by so i was like all right sweet let's try and get five families covered so 500 bucks so two and a half grand so that was my goal um but at the same time, I knew that if I was going to uh, try and be successful, I had to be uh, open and vulnerable and talk about it and what it means. Because mm-hmm. if you don't talk about um, what you're going through, 
Um, I found that most people don't know what to say to you yeah. and they get, they get awkward, not because they are awkward, but they just don't know what to say and how to answer you. But if you have confidence in, in what you're talking about or, or confidence in actually talking about something like that, that's, that's quite life-threatening um, and sharing the vulnerabilities, most people, you know, I found so nine out of 10 will come with open arms and, and want to help and, and try and do things. So that two and a half thousand. The leader, sorry. don't you? Sorry, you almost have to be the leader and help direct people is how, how you're willing to be open or what, or allow people to go, no, it's okay to ask, Hey, how are you going today? Or what's happening for you? Or cause I'm yeah, exactly. people, they really take their guidance from the patient or the carer. Yeah. And just the, the sort of mental health awareness that was starting, um, sort of on a 15, 16, you'd have, it's not weak to speak and all these different, um, um, charities talking about mental health that sort of helped, uh, it's a generational thing, but in my generation, sort of mid early thirties, mid thirties, um, there's a lot more chatter uh, and openness and resources around mental health. So I thought, I thought if you can tag in with that, to what people are going through, you, it just makes you a more, um, more uh, a better, a better network, a better community, a better society to help those that are vulnerable and in need. So that's one of the drivers. So for me, that two and a half thousand was. Um, um, surpassed in 24 hours. Um, wow. Incredible. Which is pretty nice. Absolutely. So, um, so then, uh, I doubled it to five, um, and that was done with another 24 hours and then we doubled it to 10 and, um, <clears throat> wow, that impact. Incredible. Yes. Yeah, pretty good out showing. Um, I worked for a global, global business at the time. So I had people all around the world that were working with me, donating and, yeah. and family and friends um, around, uh, I'm originally from Newcastle with um, yeah, family and friends all over the place and, and they were helping out and, and raising and raising awareness. So um, when we got to about 20, I said, uh, all right, this is awesome. And then um, Will, who was, you're not there now, but Will was working for the Leukemia Foundation and he called me and he goes, Mark, you raised quite a bit of money. Do you know there's a leaderboard and I was like, this bastard knows that I'm competitive. So <laughs> <laughs> remembering, remembering I asked the doctor at the time, 140, is that, am I on the podium for that? So I'm pretty competitive. And I was like, hang on a second. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, individual in a team, uh, ranking. And I said, all right, well, where am I? I think I was at 13th or something, 20 K. I was like, all right, here we go. Um, so I ended up, ended up raising just over 34. Um, I came, I came third, uh, nationally for that year. And the only two that beat me was a, was a Brisbane radio station and the ABC national news. Wow. So if I, if I had, if I had a radio station or a TV <laughs> channel, um, but I was pretty happy with that, um, naturally being able to help people and yeah, many, many, many families, um, were helped and, and being a part of the, the fabric of the leukemia foundation and the world's greatest shave that year was um was great uh but the lights go off and the show finishes and they move on to the next event and you've left there with a with a with a buzz cut and uh everyone goes home and you're thinking now what yep and so the next uh the next uh, anxiety depression anger yeah. <laughs> um the next well, that would have been sort of march april 
uh, would have been what, yeah, for the next four or five months, just, I've never really suffered from those types of conditions uh, in the past, but to a point where you'd wake up in the morning and your hands would be shaking all day, all night, um, not being able to communicate properly or speak or finish your sentences. It's just um, not a nice. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, Yeah. I did. Um, And you don't know if it's the drugs or you don't know if it's, you don't use. So much is out of control. Yeah, um, and my tolerance, I was reading, I was listening to, I think it was Clinton, I was listening to yes. his podcast. He spoke about his, he got a bit short and his tolerance for people's thing, other, their, their experiences or things that they think are important is, it was not there. Mine was really short. I, I did not give two hoots. Yeah. I was angry. I had no, I had no answers to what caused it. Um, some, some days you're sitting there going, why me? And what's, what's this all about? And what else is going to come next? And you just get into this vortex or a spiral of just negative thoughts and negative energy that um, just compounds on itself. And next thing you know, your brain's, your brain's, you've got four or five conversations going on at once and it's just not healthy. And, yeah. Which has effects on your immediate relationships with your wife and your friends and your family and all these other things. So and your child too. You were in the peak, as you said, like you were in the peak of living and growing that beautiful family environment and having, you know, your beautiful wife, your beautiful daughter, and looking forward to life being full throttle. And then it stopped you in your tracks. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so you, you know, in the last couple of months, you know, you know, you know, you know, you're not yourself and, and my wife said, I need to get some help and go see a psychologist and I never, I'd never done that before. And Were you to be honest, to I didn't, I was, um, cause I, I, I like behavioral stuff. I like understanding what makes people tick and had an interest in it. So I was, I was interested to understand what these psychologists did and how they worked and, and I didn't want to take the, I got offered to go speak to someone about it, or I could take some some more drugs to help help with that, or both. And I said, "Well, I've already taken enough drugs. I don't want to take any more. So I'll go and have a chat with somebody." And to be honest, it wasn't the best experience. Uh, um, so my advice would be: if you if you were uh, seeking some advice or or talking to people about it, um, and it's not it's not working, don't don't persist with it. I persisted for no 13, 14 sessions and I didn't get much out of it, um, which yeah. probably didn't help with my mindset and maybe prolong my. I always say it's like blind dating. You, you don't know who you're going to get. It's really hard to know who, who yeah. to match up and if you're going to work. And as, as you beautifully said, if it's not working, don't, don't be deterred to find someone else. And, mm. but yes, yeah, do seek someone else as well. And I had a, and I had a pretty good experience. I, I spoke to a couple of the counselors in, um, the leukemia foundation in, in our time and um and the mm. council was great and you know it's, it felt good and they were empathetic and then you go see a more of a, a, a clinical psychologist and, and again it just didn't work out so uh, the first time it didn't work out i went and saw someone else after that in a different capacity and, and it did but i think um i think yeah that experience just trying to get on the same wavelength and someone that's sort of um your age and understands where you're coming from and the stage of life you're going through probably is, is useful uh, if if you do go that way um but i reckon <clears throat> i was um yeah it would have been four or five months 
from yes. from peak to peak to trough back to peak again about coming through and it just got to a point where I, I couldn't keep going on like that. I had to had to Were step out of that mindset. Yeah, I worked. So when I got wow. diagnosed, I think I had three days off. Wow. I didn't not because I'm you know, not because I'm some trying to be anything that I'm I'm not, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to keep the consistency um mm -hmm. of the day and, and the structure. Mm -hmm. Um I, I could have replaced that with probably some more exercise. That's probably one thing I should have done a bit more, a bit more physical exertion exercise to just dust out all the mental thoughts as opposed to sitting around thinking about things. Um, but yeah, so I try to <clears throat> keep some structure, but yeah, I worked, I worked pretty much the whole way through and, and then, um, you come out the other side, we, we bought a house and I think that, um, helped, um, we had some positivity. We had some yeah. positivity, and you know, some another line in the sand. So another, you know, get get married, buy a house, have kids, all those major milestones. Um, this one was a positive one. It was in my control mm. and my choice. So we, we got we got well, our choice. Yeah. So we got that got started, and then you have the ability to then focus on on that. But uh, yeah, it wasn't um, it wasn't fun for for that period. But uh, it's just a matter of it's sort of like you can't physically force yourself to you know go and do something but mentally you have to you have to say to yourself all right today i have to focus on a positive i have to focus on a major win or work towards a major goal and two minor goals yeah absolutely and if, it, and if the major goal is mowing the lawn yeah so there that was your goal yep. um if you if your minor goal was to shower um yeah you know or just you know or go outside for a walk in the sunshine or um or go and go and pick up your little one from daycare and just sit and watch them for 15 minutes before they actually have to finish and come home. Like just little things like that. Just, just trying to get some sort of control back and structure back to your thoughts and your, and your mindset. Yeah. Cause I think you're so right. Like it's, People think as goals as these big, huge things that they need to achieve, you know, whether it's especially after they get diagnosed, say, for instance, exercise or managing their fatigue. Like, oh, I could used to run a, a kilometre. Why can't mm. I do that now? But it's like, well, mm. just break it down a bit more. And it's almost that acceptance of going, okay, well, today if I just walk to the letterbox, mm. that's a big goal for me because two months ago I couldn't even get out of bed post-treatment or transplant. Yeah. Yeah, so I just try to, I'm quite a visual learner and sort of thinker. So I just try to think about, all right, brick by brick, how am I going to build the foundations of this pillar and what's this pillar mean and what is it going to build for the next foundation? And then what am I working for, towards and mm. what do I, um, <clears throat> what do I want to do with my life and where do I want to be? And, <clears throat> and just other things like being kinder to yourself um, and realizing that when you do, if you're kinder to yourself, you communicate better with yourself. And if you're better communicated with yourself, you're better communicated to your immediate partner and your loved ones. And then you're better communicated with your friends and the extended network and everything else that comes with that. So I think trying to focus on being a better communicator within my own head uh, was, a, was a major goal that I, I worked on. And it's, it's, it's always going. I, I don't have six or seven um, voices in my head now, and you have two or three, so I'm halfway home. Um, everyone has different things going on, but yeah. um, but then other things like trying to come off the drugs. So we were we just had Farah um, naturally. Uh, that's the other thing going through IVF and 
for men, it's a bit easier. You go to the clinic and donate sperm, and off you go. Yeah, you pick up your 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 vial, and um, yeah. and you're in and out with your partner. They have to go through injections and, and, and treatments and um, and all these other things that you're sort of sitting there thinking, if I didn't get this chemo, this wouldn't be happening. So that's a, that that also starts to get you into your mind. Another thing, yeah, hmm. it's it's just complex. Um, but yeah, so we were we had, we're going through that. So we had um, uh, Emerson, uh, my uh, second uh, daughter. She was born. Uh, we tried. We, st- we were successful with IVF in May twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind, like we, we got <laughs> we've yeah, got diagnosed. We got diagnosed in February nineteen. You go through sort of six to nine months of of shit. You're about to start 2020, new year, new me, let's do this, let's go. And then bought a house. Um, the the settlement was was uh was late January. Mm-hmm. And then and then COVID hits. Wow. And uh and you think, all right, well, first of all, there goes my, the value of my home's just halved, so it's great. And second of all, <laughs> I've not got this global pandemic that could affect my health and I'm I'm compromised mm-hmm. at some point. Uh so that's it's just just shit show. So we're like, all right, how are we going to be? You're still on treatment, yeah? Like you were? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, taking the tablets every morning, every night, and still having, still trying to work towards that um, major molecular <clears throat> um, goal of 0. 0.00. Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there. I got there after 11, 12 months. So I was there, and then they want to hold you there for at least two years. So I had a three-year sort of um, goal. And... Um, and uh, so that was still ticking away in the background. So we had <clears throat> tried IVF in May 2020, successful. Um, Farrah was born. Sorry, did you have to get off treatment? No, because I, because when I was talking to Chris Arthur, Dr. Chris Arthur, in February 19, mm. I said, all right, well, we're sort of only just started our family. What are the effects of the drugs on fertility? And he said, oh, look, there's some strong evidence that there's, there's no effect, but he said you can't ever say 100%. So uh, if you are worried about it and considering, you can always go to the IVF clinic and and um, and um, and do your thing, banks and sperm, yeah. And um, so before I started the nilotinib treatment, I was actually, I, for the first week, they put me on these chemo tablets. Mm-hmm. And what, and it all have different effects on people, but my testes, it felt, they were like really, really sore. That was the only thing that, really hurt mm-hmm. and i and you tell the doctors and they go oh that's interesting i've never heard of that before and i'm like well look at the long list of side effects of all this stuff and that's one of the side effects yeah. you're telling me you're telling me i'm special with this too so that was a that was a couple of first week that i had that and with that in mind i was like who knows what these drugs are doing to, to your body and your major organs and their long-term effects so i was like all right we're gonna get it quick so i did that um for the first couple of weeks before right. i started Right. My okay. treatment. So nothing was in men are on a some people may know this, but men are on a seventy-two day um cycle. So if you want to go on treatment or even coming off treatment, which I'll talk in a sec, um, you've got seventy-two days. So we had a bit of time to put some some boys in the in the bank, as I mm-hmm. tell my mates. And um well, and then we use those <clears throat> Yes, I know. Um <laughs> I, I love my girls. Women. Yeah, yeah. If I have ten kids, I'll have ten girls. I think. Yeah. Um. Um. So we uh we did that, and then so yeah. So Emerson, she was an IVF um, baby 
which was which was great. She was born in January twenty one. And uh, and I was like, all right, cool. <clears throat> Got a three-year time horizon. Numbers are really low. Uh, I would prefer to come off the drugs uh, before the girls really started to know what I was doing. So my oldest is four and a bit now. So she, you know, my first memories are sort of five, six mm-hmm. years of age. So I was try- trying to get off them, and and um, it'll be a conversation for a day when they're more emotionally understanding and yeah. stable, I guess. So I wanted to get off those. So we came off after three years, which was January 22, February 22. And uh, numbers were low for the first couple of months, uh, doing the results, everything's all good. Um, and then I had a couple of missed calls in quick succession from a um, no, no number. And uh, knowing how many doctors call me from no numbers, I was like, oh, here we go, this is not good. Yeah. So I answered the next time they called and I said, oh, Michael, just want to let you know your numbers have started to increase. You're, you're sort of sitting at 0.001 for a few months, which was great, but now you're at sort of 0.008. Hmm. It's starting to come back. And I was like, oh, well, I was at 140, remember, last time, Doc, so I've got a, I've got a long a time go. here. Let's, yeah. um, and we want to try for a third. So he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, a couple of months later, numbers are backwards, uh, uh, up, back and up over uh, – Point one, um, which means I'm back on the drug. So that um, that experiment didn't work this time around. Um, it's it was always a How probability. Yeah, not fun. Um, because of the 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 mental dip that I went through and and period of time, I, I didn't know if going back on the drugs would have a same effect. Um, didn't know how quickly I'd get the numbers back down, which I'm still trying to wait for those results to come in to see where they're, they're currently sitting at. But um, yeah, it was always a, <clears throat> it wasn't a possibility it would come back. It was a probability. I knew that, but yeah. I thought if I could come off for a good, at least 72 days to six months, um, I could avoid the, the IVF um, treatment for my wife and all those other things. So it's, it's just so many different emotions that go through, but again, um, it's just a hurdle that, you need to how work long through do and, you have? Do you wait between blood tests? Like, do you get um, when you're on medication monthly? monthly? And and what's that that weight like? Because I know that a lot of people with chronic leukemia, that's kind of really sometimes their only baseline or their check their checkpoint yeah. where an acute person gets almost weekly, if not daily, in some in some instances. Yeah. Do you go okay? Well, I got that checkpoint this month. Then you breathe for the first two weeks and a half, and then as you kind of get closer to that four week or that whenever you get that blood test does your anxiety peak does your mind start running away or do you experience that yeah i mentioned before worrying has a um low probability of success so i try not to worry about things that are outside of my control i think that's probably one thing i've got got on a lot i'm better at is understanding what you can and can't control and even if you can control things is it really that important so Mm -hmm. for me knowing that i had a pretty good response the first time around um like I was doing monthlies, the first sort of six months of being diagnosed was monthlies and it went to three months and it went to six months. So I was in that sort of uh, cycle and then coming back on them, it's just monthly until I get back down to 0.000. So I have every confidence that it's working. I don't have any missed numbers from um, mm. no 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 caller ID um, yes. as much as what I was. Yeah. So that's a good signal to me um, and is, uh, yeah, as I spoke about before just a major goal and two minors and yeah the minor minor goal for me at the moment is not getting a missed call from an unknown number um 
a week after my blood results. So I'll just keep sticking to that. And <coughs> um, like I, I, I hear, I hear what you said. And I think it's so valuable, but I go, I'm thinking as someone listening, who's in those moments going, but how does he do that? Like, how do you, how do you not worry? And how do you, is it a mantra that you just constantly say to yourself? And was it something that you did at the beginning, but you've had to get better at or? Yeah, you have different people. When you share your story, you have different people with different experiences and, and some people are very blunt and other people um, are very um, sympathetic and, and, and everyone's got their, their opinion on what you should do or what they would do. But hmm. um, a few people have sort of said to me at the at the tough medicine end, you know, we're gonna all going to die of something. Um, at least you know what yours is. <laughs> or, yeah. or, um, or, uh, or, and I'm like, well, luckily I live in the, a world yeah, where the medicine, yeah, the age of where it is. Like, if I got diagnosed in say twenty fifteen, my yeah. my my um treatment path would have been quite different. Yeah. Um, so I'm very very lucky to have that. But um, I think another point is sort of compartmentalizing things yeah. <clears throat> and giving. It's okay to have a, have a you know a cry every now and again, or get frustrated, or you know you're you're you're, you're angry and you just want to do a boxing class or, you know, or, or run until you vomit, you know, just to take it, take that energy and to put it into something else. But um, I think the ability to compartmentalize things and just, it's there, it's at the back of your mind. It's in a little shoe box. It just sits, it sits in the, in the shelf on the bottom shelf and it's always going to be there. And, and, and if, and when it needs to come out, you know, where it is and, and why it's, why it's come out. So it takes time to get to that point. Um, talking to psychologists, talking to people, trying different things. Like I've tried heaps of different Western and Eastern medicine, herbs and potions and standing on one foot for 10 minutes in the morning, for, you know, just random stuff just to see what works and what doesn't work. And I think most of it didn't really work, but you learn from those sort of things. And um, Is that for your mental health or for the, for the chronic? It's all uh, a bit of it. A bit of both, to be honest. The chronic. Mm. I'm. I'm never going to get an answer as to why it turned up. Um, it's mm. uh, the first thing I asked was, well, "Can I pass this on to Farah, or did I, or could yeah. I pass it on?" Um, so that's that's, that's yes, yeah, so that's a no. Like you don't get it from your parents, you don't get it from anyone else. So I'm. I've always told everyone I'm special, but I'm really special because <laughs> I've got some genetic mutation yeah. <laughs> that caused this, but we don't know why or what caused it. Um, and it's interesting because they said, oh, exposure to nuclear could have been a reason for it or stress, severe stress. And I was like, okay, well, I just got married and, and had, a, had a baby. Not enough. That's it. But, but it's funny because we, we had a, we had, we had planned to go to Japan for a holiday in okay. mid 18 and we were going in April 19, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A couple of months after I was diagnosed. So imagine if we went to Japan. And obviously, nuclear reactors and things in Japan and energy they use over there. Whenever they come back, my eyes were a bit fuzzy. Went and got blood tested, then got the results, and then bang! I would have had, I would have had that as the reason. All right, I went to Japan. I got it, and I would have hated Japan. Would have said everyone, Japan's this, Japan's that. Yeah. Because I was looking for something to cause or blame or whatever it may be, yeah. an answer. But I got diagnosed two or three months before I went. Mm-hmm. So it's just funny having that reflection on the ability to think through things or around things is that we're always going to be trying to find and understand what caused things or have an answer to stuff or try and control things. But 
at the end of the day, it's I guess how you sort of um, how you respond mm, to those thoughts or how you respond. And the, the control around um, wanting to know answers is now a control around how I control my emotions and my mindset and and sort of who I want to be around and where my energy goes and mm. and and um, what my goals are and and what I want to do and and why I want to do them, like living overseas for a period of time you know, mm-hmm. would be great. Um, taking take we, we got we got uh, our honeymoon was in Sri Lanka, so when the when the girls are older, when they're old enough to enjoy it, we'll, we'll, that's a goal to take them back there yeah. and mm-hmm. um, you know saving saving towards doing a renovation or knock down of the house. Just all these other things is where I want to put my positive thoughts to and energy towards, um, and just letting the rest of it. Yeah, well, control your emotions around it, what those drivers are. So sort of this passive, what, what, what motivates you and what, what keeps you going and, and what gets you out of bed and, and, and why you, you do certain things through the day is, is just understanding where your energy is going to and, and why and, and realizing, mm-hmm. realizing also some days, it, some days you just don't want to do anything. Some days you just feel terrible. And, and it's okay. And, and it's okay. Um, the world's still going to do exactly what it was going to do and people are going to do what they were going to do anyway. It's just that some days mm. you don't have to participate. So every now and again, I'll do that. Um, and really just, yeah, try and enjoy the um, people you're with and the energy you put into those relationships and and uh, and try not to sweat the small stuff, be kinder to yourself, communicate better with yourself. And I think if you can do that, you just become a, a more well-rounded individual, and you become a um, better husband and father and a friend, and um, yeah, and you just can, yeah. It, it's for me. It, everyone has different reasons, but for me, I just that's those are some of the things that I'm trying to value at the moment. Yeah, um, I don't need to drive a fancy car. It hasn't been yeah. a bed of roses for you to get to this point, and it's still not a bed. It's still not a bed of roses either. It's um, it hasn't mm. been easy for you to 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 hit these to hit these points and and um to get to this mindset either so mm. yeah um so the next <clears throat> steps for me is um yeah getting getting um getting my numbers back to where they need to be um and giving back to the leukemia foundation as much as i can so it's not always, I realize it's not always just putting money down on the table and, and shaving your head. It can go towards doing these types of podcasts or um, turning up to events or or um, or just talking with people that have gone through it somewhere else. Like my uncle, um, when I was diagnosed, my uncle's brother, mm-hmm. so my, my, um, my uncle by um, marriage, mm-hmm. his, uh, his brother was diagnosed with CML about two months after I was. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. And, um, <clears throat> and he said to me, he said, the reason why I was so um, compassionate towards him, because there are, you know, generations, you don't mm. talk too much of it. Everything's sort of superficial and sarcastic, you know, go fishing, go fishing and, and camping and do all those sort of things. But you don't really sit down and, and talk at much depth um, about these sort of things. But he said to me, um, after talking with you, and you sharing your story and what it means and how vulnerable you were and how you, where your mindset was. You said, 
when he was diagnosed, I was just on like level three already and how I could communicate with him and, and show how I could help. And um, their relationship was, was gone from strength to strength on that just by me being open and vulnerable and sharing it and, and talking about things. So those are those are things that you can't put a dollar value on. But um, if you can help one person, which for me was, was, was great, it was immediate family member, but these type of podcasts and speaking at events or or going on tv all that sort of things that if they can reach one or two people that yeah make them make them feel safe make them feel safe i think that's the thing people when you go through this you you just you naturally want to you know want to feel safe absolutely um, it's it's a natural instinct right and we as humans we don't we don't um we don't run towards we don't run towards pain we, we run away from it. We want to keep, we want to be safe. And I think this, that is why this podcast was developed because the amount of times I've sat in front of people that said, I just want to hear someone else's story. I want to talk yeah. to someone else. But also having heard people say, I've been up in hospital by myself or at home at 3 a.m. in the morning, <clears throat> freaking out. So if we yeah. have this this platform for people to be able to press play here yeah. and go, it's a really dark day, but you're gonna mm. be okay. You, you're gonna get through through these mm. hours, and these are some people that have. So yeah, yeah. For me, it just reminded me talking about that when I was sitting in hospital and, and trying to read things. Um, and I've said this on other podcasts. I felt like I was in no man's land. Yeah. Where I was old enough to look after myself. I was 32. Um, I had a good job, um, had a, feeding us, feeding the family, starting a family. Um, so I didn't need mum and dad. I wasn't as if I was, you know, six or 16 or whatever it may be, where you're still at home. But I also wasn't 80, like yeah. most of the other people in the oncology ward that were sitting there that had lived their lives. They've reached their potential. They've gone and ticked off their bucket lists and, their family, um, watched their family grow. They watched their family grow up, and and all these other things. So I was sitting in the middle. That's what started to piss me off. I was like, "This is this is so unfair." Where I'm in this zone, where I, I haven't really, I'm old enough to look after myself, but also not not at a point where I've achieved things or experienced things and 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 reached the potential. So I felt like it's sort of no man's land. And when I started to sh- talk about that to the councillors at Leukemia Foundation, they obviously um wanted me to reach out and connect with other um males you know 25 to 40 ish around the country and and sort of talk through the same thing and that was something that really helped me through those dark periods being able to communicate um with them and i found myself giving them sort of my opinion and my advice and telling what they should do and then reflecting on it going why aren't you doing this yourself why 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 are you talking to people then you go back and you go upstairs and then you sit and watch tv and none of this stuff you just said is is um is being taken in so i feel like a bit of a, a bit of a fraudster at, at some point so i was like all right you got to change this man. you got to start listening to the stuff you, you you're helping other people do to start helping yourself and watch this. exactly and so yeah so that um that um that was helpful so these, so these type of platforms and, and the, the foundation um and the ability to connect people that um that are in that no man's land, I think, uh, is quite quite helpful. Um, and I've heard women as well that are going through sort of childbearing years or just trying to start a family, having to go through treatment. They're connected with other um, 
uh, women that are, that are going through that too. So I think, yeah, the ability to have these types of mediums um, where people can read, listen, or watch is uh, is great and, and connect. And um, I'm sure uh, a few people connect with me on, on, I'm not too big on the socials, the money on the socials if I'm trying to raise money, to be honest, for the yeah. Leukemia Foundation. But um, people are reached out on Instagram or, or Facebook at some points and just wanted to yeah. have a chat about things. So it, I think that's a great um, outcome to uh, a difficult diagnosis and, 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 and time, but there's always silver linings to things that you can you can um, focus on and, and therefore spend your energy on. Yeah. Well, I'm very conscious of the time and we are coming up to that hour mark and we do usually ask people to wrap up, you know, if there was any golden nuggets they would like to share, but you have beautifully done that, um, I think, in the last 10 minutes as well. But is there anything that um, is there anything that we've missed or is there anything that you would share or wisdom or pearls that you would um, offer somebody? Um, I think, yeah, just communicating. Communication um, is key. Be kind to yourself and communicate better with yourself and, and just be accountable for uh, where you want to spend your thoughts and your time and your energy. And yeah. once you, it, it, and it might take you a week to get your hands around that. It might take you a month. It might take you a year. But as long as you're still working towards that and getting better each day, I think um, those are some of the things that people can, can look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, the the power, the feeling of giving back and doing something for someone else um, is is five times um, better than than someone doing it for you. So I think that's something that's really got me through, and will continue. I'll continue to do um, no matter what my diagnosis is. If I'm on the drugs, or I'm off the drugs, or I'm in remission, whatever it may be, I'm 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 I'm, an, I'm a Leukemia Foundation member <laughs> forever. Um, yeah. And, well, uh, and it's a nice community to be in. <clears throat> yeah. Well, as Oprah Winfrey does always say, you know, to help to help others is sometimes the biggest way that you can help yourself and mm. um, to get yourself out of that. So, look, I wish you all the very best. I hope that you nail every goal that you've set for yourself, for your, your health, um, for your children, for your future and uh, for your wife as well. So thank you so much for sharing your story today and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Thanks to everyone for listening and um, until next time. Thanks very much. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope that you found it helpful in some way. If you would like more information on today's show or our services, please feel free to contact 1-800-620-420 and someone will be able to connect you with your local blood cancer support coordinator. Also, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, share, or even give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Kate Arkadiff, and you've been listening to the Leukemia Foundation's podcast, Talking Blood Cancer.